So one thing to understand is this is not going to air and for like another like three or four months. Okay. So if you don't no think about any references, yeah, yeah. So no, yeah, none of that. So we'll talk about spring. Yeah, it's a beautiful spring. It Perfect. is. It is about. It's about. With my luck, it'll be a shitty spring, and yeah. they'll be like, <laughs> "What are you talking yeah. about?" Everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bourbon Pursuit podcast, the official podcast of bourbon. But let's hit the news first. We have to get a shout out to a WWE wrestling superstar, Aiden English, who has featured us on his Instagram story. So if there's any other celebs out there that want to give us some social media love, please do it. We won't say no. So cheers, Aiden. Thanks for doing that. If you own or operate a liquor store and want to drive some more foot traffic, and maybe get a nice little spike in bourbon sales at the same exact time, we might have an opportunity for you because we're looking to partner up with a few different liquor stores outside of the country that can do shipping. Send us an email, the duo T-H-E-D-U-O, at bourbonpursuit.com, and let's see if we can find a great partnership and make that happen. If you've been following our podcast, you would know that today's guest isn't a newcomer. Wes Henderson began Angel's Envy with his father, and it's just gotten bigger and bigger. Last time we talked to Wes, they were getting ready to announce the Bacardi acquisition, and that's how long it's been. This is a great episode to catch up on all things that are happening with Angel's Envy, and if you want to hear all the Angel's Envy's episodes, go to bourbonpursuit.com, hit the tab that says Sort by Distillery, and find Angel's Envy. We also have one more that's going to be featuring Wes and his son Kyle, who was just back on here a few weeks ago, and that'll be coming out in maybe a few months or a month or two. And that was recorded at the Last Legend series, so stay tuned for that. As always, if you like the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Those few dollars a month actually go a really long way in helping continue and grow this show and make it grow bigger and better every single week. But yeah, as always, you get things in return, such as patches, uh, we've got stickers, bottle totes, barrel picks, and even more stuff to give away. Make sure you follow us on all those great social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Bourbon Pursuit. Subscribe to us on whatever, wherever you get your podcast. Maybe it's iTunes, maybe it's Stitcher, maybe it's another fancy app that I haven't heard about yet. Go ahead, subscribe to us there. Also, if you like the video portion, make sure you are following us on Facebook. Or if you are a YouTuber, make sure you are subscribed to our YouTube channel. And with that, make sure you also go to birdpursuit.com, sign up for our email list, and you'll get all new episodes coming straight to your inbox at 7 a.m. every single Thursday morning. With that, Enjoy this week's episode. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. 
And they're off for another Gift 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 000 Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Ryan here today, going back to a previous guest that we had in the single digit mark. It's it's been a while since we uh, we talked to our guest yeah, today. That was back when we like sucked. <laughs> it really was <laughs> it shitty I'll, audio. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. I was. So I you were trying to say you guys don't suck now? Is that right? We've we, we suck less. We suck less. Yeah, that's something less. to strive for. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, it was funny because I was listening to them and I was just like. Jesus, are these are those the questions that we asked him? It was like we got in front of a somebody that's in the industry and really yeah. like built this brand with his father, and we asked him all these stupid questions. We, so. we definitely f- the fake it till you make it. We we f- yeah, <laughs> yeah you. you guys have come a long way. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Appreciate that. So let's go ahead. You've heard his voice. Let's go ahead and introduce him. So today we have I don't even know if he still goes by this. The chief innovation officer at Angels Envy, Wes Henderson. So Wes, welcome back to the show. Good to be here, guys. Thanks for inviting me. So do you still go by the uh, innovation officer? You know, I go. I just answer. You know, <laughs> to Wes or when my wife calls me or, or whatever. Um, I guess that's my technical title. You know, co-founder and chief innovation officer. So if you look at my business cards. That's what's on it. But nice. like everybody else around here, we'll do anything we need to do to get shit. Can I say that? Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's right. We're on the— uh, We have explicit. <laughs> be you. Parental guidance. Be we have a delay was. here. Yeah, yeah. Right. We just get stuff done. You there know, you at go. the end of the day, we get stuff done. <laughs> nice. I like it. So you were back on episode six, right? So that was a long time ago because this is airing somewhere around the 150-ish episode, yeah, right? Three, so, three years ago. Probably. Yeah, it was, it was. It was March of 2015. So for people that haven't gone back, let's give everybody a recap of— you know, who you are, how you got into this, uh, the origins of Angel's Envy, so on. It's, it's, it's a, it's a great story, you know, it, 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 and it gets 
the story keeps getting written, you know, every day as we continue to to experience this amazing thing that's happening in bourbon now. But, um, you know, just in a nutshell, uh, you know, a lot of people that are into the bourbon industry will know my father, Lincoln Henderson, and dad was a master distiller, Brown Foreman, for about 40 years. And it, Brown Foreman, dad created Woodford Reserve, Gentleman Jack, Jack Daniels, Single Barrel, and a bunch of other amazing products. And um, I worked in the industry as well, but left the industry. Uh, dad retired from Brown Foreman. Uh, I started Angel's Envy and brought dad out of retirement and, um, you know, went to him one morning and said, dad, do you want to do this? And he said, sure. And we started doing it, you know, it, it, uh, but really we had no clue how we were going to get there. We didn't really have the money set aside. We didn't know anything about how it was going to happen, but we just decided it was going to happen back then. So You just knew you wanted the world's sexiest bourbon bottle on the shelf. I, I, <laughs> I don't even know if we knew that. You know, I mean, I, I mean, we just knew that we wanted to do a project together as a family. That's really was the driving force behind it. Um, you know, I've got six boys. as uh, uh, My oldest two work for me now. So to be able to have them work with my dad and, of course, her grandfather was something that they were really excited to have the opportunity to do. So, you know, it, it started out as a family, as a family thing. And, you know, I really think I know it's kind of a long-winded answer, but, you know, my dad was a like an eight-year melanoma survivor. And I really think in the back of dad's head as he got older, you know, there might have been a thought that that melanoma would come back at some point in time. And it did. Um, so I think in the back of dad's head, he said, okay, let's try to do one more thing here you know, before I decide to, to move on to the next world. And that one thing wasn't necessarily creating a bourbon or creating a product. It was to be able to work. And really, it wouldn't have mattered how the product did, mm-hmm. you know, it, whether it was a success or not a success. It was just the opportunity to work together with, with his son and his grandsons that dad, you know, really, really wanted. Mm-hmm. So cool. also talk about the origins of, of why going with the port finishes too, because I think, you know, we discussed it back on episode six, but I think it's, it's good for the recap for the listeners that are either just now really diving into bourbon they haven't gone back and listened to all these episodes they just want to understand you know why why'd you go that route you know it it started out kind of as a challenge to dad and the challenge was you know if we're going to do this let's look at some things that you did in your career that you really enjoyed or thought were cool but for whatever reason did not make it out you know, did not, or let's say it wasn't, the idea wasn't perfected. Let's say that uh, it wasn't the right time. And really for a lot of his things, looking back at a lot of his innovations, a lot of it was, it's not that it wasn't good stuff. It just was, wasn't at the right time. So, but we kept coming back to secondary barrel finishes as something that dad really enjoyed doing. And Brown Foreman owned Glenn Morangi for years. So dad was familiar with that, with Glenn Morangi and single malt scotches. So we thought it would be really cool to be the first American whiskey or bourbon to make that kind of our platform, secondary barrel finishes. So that's really how it all began. Um, and, and then from there, we we just, we set out to do it. You know, we looked at a lot of different possibilities. We looked at a lot of different fortified wines. We have some really good uh, innovation recipes. And uh, we had a really good source of port and port barrels in Portugal. So we just kind of said, let's start with that. I mean, we could have put a dartboard on the wall, you know, with all the different finishes we like because they're all really good and started mm-hmm. anywhere. But the port barrels were a little easier to source. And um, we just felt that was a good place to jump. I mean, you see this a lot with a, a lot of companies now are jumping into the finished. I mean, oh, you've yeah. got you've got Bell Mead doing it and they're doing Madeira cask finished. I mean, you guys have Joseph your- Magnus. You know. Magnus does. You guys have your rye that's done in rum barrels. I mean, are you seeing that the the finishes are are- you know, you really you think you you kind of spearheaded a movement, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, do you think it's 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 a new twist on giving 
people that are into bourbon, something something grander than just the bourbon itself? Uh, I think you're correct in, in all those assumptions. You know, the first is, I really think we were the kind of the pioneer, uh, uh, the most, at least the first commercially successful whiskey, American whiskey, to to do secondary barrel finishes and make that our platform. So once people saw the commercial success of that, you know, you started seeing these other things come out. It's also a point of differentiation and a point of, like you said earlier, a minute ago, for a, a journey of discovery for not just people that are new to the industry, but people that are, you know, been in the industry for a while as, as far as consumers. Um, so it's just, it's new things, you know, we're always searching for, for other things. I don't know if it was necessarily because we felt like there was fatigue with bourbon. I think it was just something that, okay, we can, we've got a saying here, it's not ready till it's finished. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we just kind of say we're taking bourbon, which is already amazing as it is, and and just adding another step to it and kind of putting our stamp on it. So um, um, so I, I believe that there certainly there is that appetite from consumers to have new things. That's part of it. Do you, do you think eventually it will become a category or should become a category? I mean, it is kind of a category already, but is it, it, it depends on what you mean by category. You know, there's the, the legal legal category. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is a specific TTB designation for products that are finished. Um, there is, um, yeah, I don't really know the answer to that. You know, I think in people's minds, there's already a category, you know, if they're looking for things that are secondarily finished. Um, now, how that's differentiated uh, on a commercial level or on a, you know, on a TTB regulatory level, that remains to be seen. I think they've got it pretty much covered now. Um, there's a pretty big, there's a wide net there for for uh, distilled spirit specialties is, is a classification. So there's a pretty wide net there. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey finished in port wine barrels. Mm-hmm. Right. It's something to be proud of too. I yeah, mean, I think exactly. I think it is. It carved a new path. I mean, for me, it, it definitely gets you out of that mindset that you're, you know, for the the bourbon purist out there, right? That yeah. they need to try something different. Well, and it took. It, it was a challenge at, at at first because when you're the first people to really do something, there was a little bit of pushback, uh, and I think the pushback was mitigated because of dad's stature in the industry, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but from, the we'll, we'll say bourbon purists, we'll say that. We'll just kind of call it that. I think that originally there was a little bit of blowback. Oh, that's really not bourbon. That's not, you know, you know, whatever. And and now you don't hear that blowback anymore. It's just an accepted practice in the industry. So we had to weather a little bit of that. It wasn't, it wasn't anything major, but um, it was an education process, I think, as well. But, but once again, because of our history in the business, because of our family involvement, because we're very close to the bourbon connoisseur community, you know, we have a good relationship. You know, we're very interactive with, uh, with, our, with our, you know, fans of the brand, with uh, bourbon enthusiasts. So when you're that connected to the group, I'm not going to say you get a pass because you don't get a pass. But what you do get is you get people that are going to take a little more time to say, okay, let's listen to what these guys have to say. And as long as what you're saying is 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 transparent and you know real, then 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 you're in good shape. Yeah, for me, it's there's just enough nuance in the the bourbon that it it changes up your palate and kind of sparks your interest again because like. We drink bourbon all the time, and we look at it and we're Do like, we? we're, we're, we're tired of bourbon. We're going to try rum or something. But then you try these port finishes and sherry finishes and all these other things, and it kind of like wakens you up to the new, a whole new world. And that's great. Yeah. I mean, that, that's great. I've said it a lot that, you know, when, we, when you come into this business, you, you have to, you've got rights and responsibilities. The responsibility in my mind is to preserve the history of bourbon. But 
because you're a guardian or, or along with being a guardian of, of the history of bourbon, you have a little bit of artistic license. So that's the balance you have to achieve. So, you know, that's kind of how I feel about all that. And, um, um, you know, I think we do that. I think we've got a balance here. There was one thing that you you said there about how you connect the brand to the consumers. And we we experienced it a little bit. You know, we came in today. Today's a, a Tuesday. And we came in and we actually talked to people at the front desk and like, oh, we don't do a whole lot of tours today. It's a lot of connecting with mm-hmm. uh, bartenders and mm-hmm. uh, people that come around the country. And, and you, you guys really do that. The other thing that I also noticed from you is that you are you're very active in social media where if anybody is talking about Angel's Envy, you respond back and say, thank you. Yeah. And you say uh, doing that. So yeah. how do you feel that, you know, when you're you're doing an outreach like that to people in the community of how it's affecting brand loyalty or anything like that? I think it's it's very important, and that's probably one of the big reasons behind the success of the brand. Tuesdays at the distillery, we call them Advocacy Day. So we reserve that day to bring in um, uh, partners in the industry, be it bartenders, mixologists, distribution partners, um, vendors, you know, people that are associated with the brand or bourbon. We do that every Tuesday. So those relationships are, are so critical, especially with the the, the retail and bartender community. Um, you have that connection. And look, if you, let's, let's say if you have a connection with a bartender, for example, you know, that, and it's a real connection. It's not just some bullshit thing where, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's a real connection because of years of trust and, you know, communication and stuff like that. You've built that up. You, you've built a legitimate relationship there. And when somebody comes into that bar, and, and says, you know, well, I don't really know what I want tonight. You know, I'm thinking about a bourbon, you know. Um, I, I think it's natural for us to gravitate towards the things we are familiar with and the things we have a connection to. Mm-hmm. And, and that doesn't mean that you can't try everything else behind the bar. But I, I think it's very comforting to know that that uh, many times, because of our relationships and because how we educate people about our brand, and it's a good brand, that, that they're going to recommend Angel's Envy. So, you know, I mean, there's a tangible benefit. And I don't think we really— it wasn't an effort where we set out to do that overtly. As the brand grew, it just be kind of it became kind of a favorite in the bartender community, and we noticed that early on, and we respect that more than anything. We know that the brand would not be where it is today without that support. So it makes total sense to continue that support. The social media aspect of it, I love interacting on social media. I think it's a lot of fun, and I get a lot of feedback, and, and it's feedback that I listen to. Um, Both positive and negative. Yeah, you know, it's it's overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, I, every once in a while, you may get a troll out there, but I think that, you know, 99% of everything I see out there is positive, you know. And look, if anybody says, hey, I'm, uh, you know, what are your, what are your favorite, or these are my favorite bourbons, you know, they may less three or four. I got no problem coming on there. If I do agree, I say, I agree. Great choices, all of them, you know, including Angel's Envy. You can't go wrong with any of them. There's nothing wrong with that, and that's real. And I think that's what people want. They want that connection. They want somebody that's not just, you know, uh, shoving your brand down their throat all the time. Yeah. And that's my approach to it. It's Is honest. There- is there? Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say. I, I think you you connect more on a personal level too. It's, it's it's one thing to get a response back or a retweet from a, a a brand where you have a social media team behind it, but I mean, this is you. Yeah. This is you reaching out to these people, right? It's and it's and it's me and our team that personally go out and have these relationships with people. So, um, you know, our society has gotten in such a way that you know the we have as little interaction as possible with people anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, you get people that are one office down like, from do each other disturb, texting you know, each other. Phone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. right. There you go. <laughs> um, so, you know, th- this this movement towards 
not talking and, and not not communicating face-to-face and things like that, I think it's just, you know, if you really want to talk about, the, I think, the demise of society, I think that mm-hmm. has a lot to do with it. That's probably kind of a dire you know, dire prediction. <laughs> Keep going, but <laughs> but in my in my mind and in my world, at least for me, you know, I have to have that interaction with people because that's what I enjoy. You know, I like that. I like those friendships and relationships, and I've got them all over the world now, which is makes it. And it's. I tell you another thing too. You know, and you guys are used to me by now. I have long winded answers to all your questions. Uh, that's, but, that's perfect as a host. Uh, <laughs> it's called. <laughs> and when I was in radio, we called them. Um, Bathroom songs, you yeah. know, like um, uh, 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 Leonard Skinner's uh, "Freebird," the live version was like eight minutes long. So that's when you you put that record on if you needed to go pee or something. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I'm giving you guys could step out and I could keep yeah, talking keep going. But um, you know, guys, through all that, I forgot just what I was talking about. Oh my gosh, what are we? Uh, the demise of society with their phones, right? You know, all that stuff. Okay, screen times. Only, well, you know, you that, know. That, that that's probably all that needs to be said about that. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> well, no, it is interesting because. I'm in business too, and we're finding that um, you know marketing to millennials is so much different than our because like our audience is pretty much similar to yours. Like our customer is 30 all the way up to 80, so it's like how do you connect the brand to that wide of a demographic? You know, it, it, people ask, you know, well, what's your demographic for bourbon? And, and you know, 10 or 15 years ago it was pretty easily discernible. You know, you it was typically a white male you know, 40 years or older, you know, as a general rule. Um, that's not an absolute like anything else, but that was just the, the demographic. Well, now the demographic is all over the place. So people say, well, isn't that great that everybody loves your product, <coughs> you know, from 21 to 70? I mean, that's great. But at the same point in time, if you're when you're doing marketing, it makes it very difficult because mm-hmm. you've got a moving target. So it's a blessing and a and a curse. So what you really have to do is you've got to really be in touch with, I think, your core demographic with any product. You have to be in, t- in strong, very strong touch with your core. And then you work out from there. Um, uh, and, and it's very, very true what you said. You do not market to someone that's 25 to 35 the same way you market to somebody who's 50-year-old, you know, 52, I'm 51 or older. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you have to be able to communicate that way, you know, if, if you want to reach all those demographics. So you got to be a chameleon to a certain extent. I mean, you don't change the values of the brand, but you change how you communicate the values of the brand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So when we talk about the, the marketing aspect, too, there was the last time me and you actually saw each other was at the Bourbon Beyond Festival, uh, you know, quite a while ago now. But it it was it was something where I was honestly it was the first time that I was a part of it, and maybe you were surprised as well as as how big Bourbon has grown and being able to get your brand in front of all these people that. I mean, me and you were sitting there behind, like we were on the stage, right? Where there's a band in front of us, right? Did you ever think of this would this would be something that, yeah, just because I was in bourbon, I'd, I'd get to do this kind of cool stuff? Not a, not, not a chance. <laughs> I know, right? You know, I, I could sit here for an hour and, and talk about the the different places that I've been able to go and people I've been able to see and, and um, that really the common, well, you know, and, and look, forget about, let's take out the musicians, let's take out the celebrity aspect of it, but just look with people in general and experiences. You know, bourbon is a spirit that, um, you know, that brings people together. You know, you share a bourbon over, you know, over a, something to celebrate. You share it over, you know, a, you know, a promotion, a, you know, a birth, a death, you know. I mean, it, so it's something that, that and bourbon is very inclusive. And um, so by its very nature, you're involved in situations where you've got people interacting. And guess what? That's real interaction. It's not, once again, it's not 
texting somebody. You can't text somebody a, a glass of bourbon, you know. <laughs> you can. And we're working on that. <laughs> we have our people working on that. It can be the, the Willy Wonka yeah, of bourbon exactly over here. Exactly right. right. <laughs> uh, it's a great business model. And if I can pull it off, I'll be, I will finally be a, deemed a genius. Do you like my cup there, my pink cup? Yeah. Everybody's <laughs> making fun of me because of that cup. I'm like, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you, you said you didn't want to talk about celebrities that are part of this, but, you know, at, at some point, you know, you get the opportunity to, to rub shoulders with a few of them. I mean, I, I kind of see you being almost secret best friends with uh, Laura Bell Buddy on Twitter every once in a while, right? So <laughs> you, uh, you're, you're connecting with a lot of these people that are talking about your brand at a very, uh, uh, not even a macro level, right? It's, it's, it's very yeah. high. Laura is a really super, super amazing woman. Um, you know, Broadway. Um, yeah, she's an actress, actress and country yeah, music I mean, singer. singer and, yeah. um, and we connect. She's a Kentucky girl. And we connected. She was doing a skit for um, uh, some Southern women. You know, this little, little skit that they do, this little fate art, uh, uh, Twitter group they have. And, and on the on the skit, they were you drinking Angel's Envy. All these women were. So, and she was part of that. And it was really cool. So that's kind of how we met. And, um, you know, and it's very nice when, you know, when one of these folks that has a lot of followers on Twitter, you know, I mean, they're very kind to tweet out something about the brand, you know, and, and they don't have to do it. You know, there are people paying <laughs> oh, yeah. People, there's, there's, celebrities to, to tweet and things like that. But we would never do that. It's very organic. And and um, so, you know, those friendships are very important to me. And, um, you know, they transcend just the, just the um, you know, uh, and we had a presence at Laura's wedding, which was really cool. You know, they, they uh, took a, shy, uh, a drink of bourbon on the altar. That sounds nice. about like a Kentucky yeah, thing, thing, right? Yeah. yeah. And she, in Catholic. California, she got married in California. That sounds <laughs> that too. And I'm Catholic, so I can appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they did a shot of Angel's Envy to kind of seal the deal. And then we had Angel's Envy at the reception. And, and you know, but but next time, you know, and I didn't do that for any reason other than she, I consider her a friend and she's a great person. But then you, then in People Magazine, you've got Angel's Envy, you know, a picture right. of Angel's Envy at the wedding. So that doesn't hurt. Right. No, definitely not. A little hat tip. Maybe you sent a bottle or two Does, as a thank you. Doesn't yeah. hurt. Yeah. You know, so I'll take it. Absolutely. So the last time we talked, it was also the same time that Bacardi had announced that they were uh, <laughs> assuming control of Angel's Envy. So kind of talk about how that's been going. I think it's been going very well. You know, I mean, it's a great relationship, a great family, great company. Like any um, any marriage or any anything where two different organizations come together, um, it's working out the logistics you know, and then, and, and kind of understanding how the other one works. And the one thing that, that Bacardi has been great about is, is that they have a very sincere awareness about what we do here. And they are committed at the highest levels to allow us to be the same creative, expressive, entrepreneurial, nimble, small company that we, we have been from the very beginning. And that's what you need in bourbon. You need to have that autonomy. You need to have that independence, especially if you want to be creative and be innovative. So they've been very hands-off in that respect. But on the other side, they provided us the support that we need um, when we need it. And, um, you know, uh, you know, they help us with uh, and a lot of it's back house, back of the house stuff. It's legal. It's accounting. It's, you know, production. I mean, look, on the production side, they've been distilling for 150 years. So even though it hasn't been bourbon— you know, there's a lot of knowledge there and a lot of technology and a lot of experience. So we draw on that also. Um, so, so far, so good. You know, it's been a great relationship. I have no reason to believe it won't continue to be that way. Um, they've embraced the whole family. You know, they're working with my sons on their career development as well. So that shows a commitment on their part for the long term. 
and that's what I like, you know. I mean, I, I want to be sitting in a little rocking chair out front of the building, you know, 30 years from now, you know, when I'm— We get a cigar or a pipe smoker. When I'm is 40 years old. Too? Yeah. Now, I don't—I'm uh, not a—maybe a pipe would be good. Do I need a corncob pipe and some overalls or no? <laughs> whatever. No, that stereotype's yeah. gone, I guess. Yeah, whatever, that's, whatever. that's the Booker Noah album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Booker, God, <laughs> God bless him, man. Yeah. I was about to say, I don't know if it would fit, right? Because you, uh, you'd you have all these pictures of you around here with your uh, with your college yeah. shirt. And then, yeah. This, this, this distiller is way too nice for that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good point. Yeah. We'll get Tim from Moonshiners to come here, and we'll get Tim to, to wear that outfit for us. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, it wouldn't look right if you sat outside with a rocking chair and a corncob yeah, pipe and be like, here's, here's, here's Wes. He started this. Eons ago, and right. uh, he hasn't left. But and I'll be like, "Come on up, little whippersnappers. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you how it was back in the day when I walked, you know, twenty miles to school and my bare feet both each way. You know, blah 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 in the snow. <laughs> we were we were crushing corn with our hands to be able yeah, to put them exactly. in the mash. <laughs> if it works in the story, why not? Yeah, maybe we'll believe. So the other thing is, you know, the the distillery is not completed. It's operational. It's functional. Was was the because at that time you guys were still building when we had interviewed you was was the Bicardi portion was was it a big help giving an influx of capital to help build this because this was not this was a series of setbacks um there was it had to have been over budget because I don't know of a construction uh even if it's that residential that is ever under budget everything's over budget right so what was did Bacardi have a, a good role in that yeah you know we the and the brands evolve. So when the brand evolves, your needs evolve, you know, and from the production side as well as the other infrastructure. So it was kind of a natural progression. But, um, you know, we would have, you know, when back in, in when we uh, did the acquisition, you know, we didn't have any debt back then. You know, we were, you know, we were debt free, but we were going to take on debt to build the distillery. So, you know, once the acquisition happened, we had resources other than what we had before. <coughs> and Bacardi was very keen on making this. You know, one of the crown jewels of the bourbon industry. So they um, they committed additional resources, and you know, we just upped the ante here. You know, we uh, you know we uh, um, you know we we know we had a great partner, and they encouraged us to make it the best we possibly could. So you know, we we spent a little more money than we planned. So why why go? I mean, if you don't have any debt, why go into debt to build a distillery, right? Because we've we've talked to Trey uh, from Jeffersons before, and he says, you know, I. I make more money by sourcing my bourbon and then doing it instead of actually producing my own, right? So what was what was the idea of even thinking that you even go this route? Well, that's a fine business model until you can't source it. <laughs> True. Your supply turns out. Yeah, and that's a real issue in the industry now is that, the, you know, there is precious little juice out there and almost to where you're seeing people do blends and stuff, which is fine. I think it's cool. Um but, um, you know, you have to be able to control your own destiny. And the only way you can control your own destiny is to have your own plan. So, I mean, look, I mean, going into debt and financing something for the long term with such a tremendous upside is really not a difficult decision to make. Um, you know, and we were talking, you know, as a relatively young brand, you know, there's a $27 million facility here. You mm -hmm. know, um, right now, we would, at our volume now, you wouldn't have had, we wouldn't have had enough um, resources to, you know, to, Put all that cash into it. You know that this is not just the distilling business. This is just business in yeah. general. You, you know, cash. so that cash is better deployed growing the brand. Yeah, than, cash flow than to putting the day cash. to day. Right. I mean, you know, the, the businesses, the business exploding, bourbon's exploding. You know, take advantage of of the optimum time of growth. Spend that money on on developing the brand, and then. You know, so you're paying a little interest on a loan, you know, and, and once the business explodes, then you pay that sucker off, and hmm. you're, in, you're in clover, man. 
I mean, is there a I, I was this, this facility is actually a lot bigger than I thought when you look at the outside of it, right? Yeah. It actually goes back very deep. I think I counted like five fermentation tanks. Um, it, it's, it's a lot bigger than I anticipated, right? I kind of thought when I came in here, oh, it's going to be like, like a little micro distillery. Well, or yeah, that are like Evan Williams bourbon experience. Like we create one barrel a day. Guess what? You know, that's and, what we, that's what it would have been. Yeah. You know, eight, nine, 10 years ago. And the scope changed significantly. I mean, you look at the buildings we looked at. I'll give you a good example. Across the street from here, you've got the Slugger Field. And then Slugger Field, you've got against the Grain Brewery. Mm-hmm. And the first owners of the brewery there went out of business. They closed it down before Against the Grain came in. I was in there looking at that equipment because I knew, okay, I had fermenters there. I had a lot of other equipment. I could pop a still in there, and we could do a little craft distillery right there in that building. Mm-hmm. And that's not a very big building. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Then we looked at other stuff. And, and you know, then when we finally made the decision that we wanted to be downtown, um, and that was a, that was a, that evolved as well. We looked at the old Taylor property, looked at it hard. I fell in love with that property. I thought Everybody it was so has. sexy. Yeah, but it's a money pit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the other thing I was thinking about. Okay, so we knew that that Woodford had one hundred fifty thousand visitors, for example. So we knew, and plus it's out in the middle of nowhere, right? Right. So we knew that now Millville's le- a big town. At least right, <laughs> Millville. <laughs> right. Good old Millville. So we knew that that 150,000 people come to see Woodford. So our guess was that if they're going to come see Woodford, they probably come and see us. So that's yeah. 150,000 people. But being downtown Louisville on Main Street, yeah. that changes that the, the exponentially. So and then I started thinking about the history of bourbon and how urban bourbon, the history of urban bourbon kind of got jacked. That's a phrase I like to use. Mm-hmm. And taken out to the rural areas, you know, because there was so much going on in downtown in the history of bourbon, but it just went away. So I thought it would be really cool to to go kind of go back to the urban bourbon roots. So then it all kind of came together at that point in time. So we decided, okay, we're going to go downtown. The issue there was where we were going to find a place downtown. This spot on Main Street is the only place on Main Street in Louisville you could have done what we did. Right. Because of the 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 egress, you know, we've got places we can bring trucks in. We've got, you know, you can't put a distillery you know, down in Main Street, like around Third and Main, where you've got these teeny, these teeny, teeny buildings, you know, with small alleys, you can't bring semi trucks <laughs> and things like that in there. So this was the perfect spot to do what we did. And so you, you talked about tremendous upside, and and what kind of risks did you think were going to be involved with with making the gamble too? Because I mean, don't get me wrong, like uh, I I would assume that. The amount of time and the amount of money that you're paying in property and real estate taxes here in downtown Louisville doesn't compare to Millville, right? Right. So, well, I mean, the city has always been great with incentives. The state's been good with incentives also. You know, I think that that you have to weigh the overall, you know, we needed a facility of this size to achieve the volume that we knew our consumers would want. Mm-hmm. We knew where how we wanted to grow the brand. So once you start to do that, once you say, okay, this is what we can be, you just work back from that to figure out what you need to build to get there. And then you make a decision, you know, okay, is it worth that investment or not? And we decided overwhelmingly that once we knew where we could get, that the money would take us to get there was worth spending. Right. So uh, two more questions for you. So uh, one- That's it? Two more questions? <laughs> well, we can keep going. I'm yeah, the king of the long-winded answer, yeah. aren't I? Well, then good. Then we're going to keep going. And we have one question left. <laughs> <laughs> so the, um, you know, we, we talked about, you talked about acquisitions of, you know, Bacardi taking over Angel's Envy, um, High West by Constellation. Mm-hmm. So, Ow. and you you weren't a small brand back then either, right? Like you were, you were pretty substantial, uh, but it's helped grown. And do you kind of see the future of- 
uh, of these these big mono you know behemoth companies acquiring more and more and more of brands that were about your size at the time. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone. Transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. You know, we, we talked about, you talk about acquisitions of, you know, Bacardi taking over Angel's Envy, um, High West by Constellation. Mm-hmm. So, Ow. and you you weren't a small brand back then either, right? Like you were you were pretty substantial, uh, but it's helped grown. And do you kind of see the future of uh, of these, these big mono, you know, behemoth companies acquiring more and more and more mm-hmm. of brands that were about your size at the time or a lot of craft or micro or stuff like that. You know, everybody wants to do that. Um, you have to draw a lot of parallels from the craft beer movement, you know, how that's panned out. And I'd say we're about 10 years behind the craft movement. So um, when you look at that, um, uh, you know, the parallels there, I think there will be companies looking for some, but there's not a lot of them out there. You know, the, when you look at the, the commercial success of these uh, of these brands, we were, you know, our size was sufficient enough to where we were an attractive acquisition. If you look at it, and so was High West, but when you look at volume of some of these craft guys, I don't know where you go to get the next kind of volume leaders. I mean, mm-hmm. can you think of, I mean, can you think of, okay, well, even Ambler, is really small and they got purchased, you know? It's, that was an outlier. Yeah. You know, I think that was Stoli just wanting to get into the business. And, you know, that brand was kind of an anomaly, you know, but yeah. you're also dealing with it was a source product. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, Stoli's going to put a significant investment into into that brand. So, you know, that that's that's great. So where we're going from here, I'm really not sure. Um, you know, all of your, let's say the bigs, let's call them the bigs, your big producers. I think they realize that, they're really good at running brands and taking brands at higher volume. By nature, big companies are not the best innovators in the world, mm-hmm. and they're not good at creating new brands. So they, they've looked to the small entrepreneurs and the craft guys to do that. 
and then they can take them to the next level. The challenge is when you take them to the next level, how do you keep from screwing them up? Mm -hmm. You know, you take an entrepreneurial style of doing things and you have a, a certain mindset, a certain you know, it, you know, it, turning a turning a major company is like trying to steer a, a, a an aircraft carrier. Okay, right. you don't turn it on a dime. I, I think we're more like a PT boat. You know, we're a mm-hmm. we're a maybe a bass boat. I don't know what it is, <laughs> bass track. But, but we're fast. You know, so so the challenge in one of these in the, these acquisitions is is to find a brand that has some uh, footing that you know you can grow. But the big challenge is assimilating that into the bigger company. Mm-hmm. And, and another good example of that is makers. I talk to Bill Samuels all the time about this, you know, about, you know, the acquisition of makers and how he dealt with that and how, how they, you know, how the, the larger companies navigated that. And, um, and if, fortunately for us, it's worked out very well. But I know of at least one brand that it didn't work well. I'm not going to name it. But, um, and, and, you know, that that's where the, you know, we'll see how High West works out. You know, I love David Perkins. Um, I hope they keep, hope David stays involved in that brand because he's really the lifeblood of the brand. Um, hopefully they won't screw that up. But, um, you know, we'll see. And then there's, there's one common theme between, you know, between you and High West, Kentucky Al, is that you all start as as NDPs, right? You you were having you have a volume of sourcing, and you weren't necessarily distilling and putting out your own product, mm-hmm. and you don't see a whole lot of that that craft movement of people that are putting out their own product are the ones that actually getting acquired right now. Do you think it's because it is a it is a quick grab of these big companies that say like, okay, these people put out a good quality product at a great price point. <laughs> And we can help grow that to a bigger significant than than what it is now versus, all right, well, we got to take this product that's aged six months, two years, whatever it is, and figure out what to do with it. Yeah. I think that's a fair statement. Um, there's some great creative stuff going on with your small craft guys. I think that one of the issues with some of those products is, is that they're great products, but there's – and it's all financial – there's a, a push to push them to market, you know, that, you know, if, if you're a guy, an entrepreneur that spent three or four million dollars building a distillery <laughs> and you don't, you know, and then that's your only thing, you know, and to uh, to have to sit on that for four to six years if you're doing an age product, that's a difficult proposition. So um, you're going to make other things, you're going to make gin, you're going to make vodka as other things, or you may be inclined to release whiskeys before they're really the best mm-hmm. they can be. And I don't necessarily know if that's good for the industry or not. Um, it's and, and like I said, a lot of these guys, the stuff that they release now that may not be so good right now, ends up being fantastic, you know, two or three or four years later. So, but being, it's hard because they put it on the shelf and at a high price point, and you know, and then that's, you, you, you kind of get tough. ingrained in your mind that that's not a good product. Yeah, you know? <laughs> that's where it's tough. You know, when I see a, a product on any product on the market, it doesn't have to be a spirit that has this that first super premium, premium price point. And it's, then you have to look at differentiation. So why would I spend twice as much on that product if I know the product is, you know, let, let's say age is the most important and it's not. But why would I buy that product that's been aged, you know, six months as opposed to this one that's been aged six years? And there's got to be a compelling reason for somebody. To, and there may be a compelling reason. I mean, the story may be so compelling. The, the, you know, there's something about the bottle may be the, you know, have gold bars in it, whatever. You know what I'm saying? There may be some reason. I like gold bars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. It may be a heavy bottle. <laughs> um, but 
there has to be something there. And, and craft guys are good at telling those stories are good at, you know, they're working from the heart and people that resonates with people. So, you know, and being an NDP or being someone that's utilized, um, utilized uh, source product, that's a little more difficult, I believe. People think that, you know, especially if you're doing the blending yourself, the art is in the blending, you know. And, uh, you know, we had the experience in the industry. We were able to source product at the very beginning to our specifications. and But we were able to take it, age it the way we wanted to age it, blend it, bottle it, do everything, finish it ourselves. And that's something that a lot of these smaller craft guys don't have the, yeah, the, that not the experience. Yeah, an opportunity now for them? I think there is opportunity. I think the window is not as large as it was before. And I, I do believe, you know, at some point in time, shelf space will be a consideration. There are a lot of new brands out there and they're all fighting for shelf space. And if you're a really small guy and and, and distributor focus, you know, with all these brands, getting a distributor to focus on your brand is increasingly difficult. Yeah. So, you know, there may be a shakeout. Do you think an NDP now could do what you all did you know, five, six years Probably ago. Probably not. Yeah. Well, not with Kentucky bourbon whiskey right now. Yeah. Because the market is so tight. You know, distillers for 100 years have been selling product to each other, you know, selling bourbon back and forth. Now everybody's got their, they've grabbed their stuff and they're, they're holding on to it real tight because they're able to sell it themselves. So now there's other whiskey out there on the open market. Hell, if you want to have a Canadian whiskey right now, good luck. <laughs> but do you man. think consumers wouldn't, you know, embrace it, I guess, now versus, you know, five, six years I ago? I think more so now because it's more understood. Yeah. As long as you just not slapping somebody else's juice in it and just like that and putting a right. different name on it. Um, you know, it's, it's more widely accepted. Just like the finishing, the notion of finishing is more accepted than it was. And it's accepted because, and it's accepted from the people who are transparent about what they're doing. You know, Absolutely. If you're an NDP or if you're, you know, if you're doing finishing or if you're doing things, you know, you've got to be, as long as you're honest and open with your consumers about what you're doing and how you're doing it, um, then then you're okay. It's when you get some of the shifty stuff going on behind the scenes where people aren't really quite leading you in the right direction, you know, that's bad for all of us. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned that a lot of these crafts movements, you know, they need to create something to get it out the door. However, you guys started distilling but you didn't make Angel's Envy gin, Angel's Envy vodka. <laughs> you know, you don't have a bottle of Angel's Envy moonshine. At least I didn't see down there, maybe. Well, it's right there. But it's not necessarily it's downstairs not. in the gift shop, right? No, it's, so it's, so why why not? I mean, because don't be wrong. Like, you go to Makers and you've got, you've got the white dog there. You did the same thing at Buffalo Trace. So what was the idea of not going that route as well? And a lot of it has to do with positioning and branding. You know, the positioning of the brand. I would never take new make and put it in an Angel's Envy bottle. You know, because I don't think that's super premium. And Angel's Envy super premium. Now, who's the, I, I like being able to sell, if I were able to sell White Dog, because I think it's a good it's a, it's a hell of a lot less money involved, well, too. <laughs> forget about that. <laughs> Let's set that aside. Um, I think it's really cool to be able to show somebody, okay, this is how it starts and this uh -huh. is how it ends. So, you know, to be able to do that. And look, we, you know, when I created this company, it was called Louisville Distilling Company. Angel's Envy is the first brand from Louisville Distilling Company. So there are other things we can do here. We can do distillery-only releases, special releases that, you know, we can test things here. It may not go in an Angel's Envy bottle. It may go in a Louisville Distilling Company bottle, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we don't have a need to... Was that part of the sale, the Louisville Distilling to Bacardi, or is that your own thing? The whole or thing. The whole thing. It's gotcha. the whole thing. Louisville Distilling Company is the is the um, is the you know is the the the, the umbrella company, and then uh, Angels Envy is the first brand from Louisville gotcha. Distilling Company. Um, so you know, in the gift shop, look, the if you go down and see the gift shop, it is the same 
super premium feel that we have with the brand. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's the, we walked in, I was like yes, blown away. We're not I'm selling like, <laughs> souvenir spoons down there and, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. We're selling things that are, that are, that are, you know, people want. And, you know, we've got a real, the average spend there is really, you'd be surprised. It's really, really high per person. And, and it's not, and we don't, we're not ripping people's heads off on pricing. So, you know, we may add a few more things to it, but anything we add is going to be is going to be on brand. Mm-hmm. It was funny because we did walk in and we were like, "This is easily the cleanest distillery yeah. we've ever." Walked I was like, through. "Most places are." Yeah, dumb. Other people <laughs> say that, you know, and and um, I think that we have one of the nicest distilleries on the Bourbon Trail. Uh, I'm fans of all of them, so don't don't get me wrong. You but, did have the advantage of being able to remodel and start from <laughs> scratch, so it's you know. Yeah, uh, you know, look, and, and the, the design was very um, progressive, yet it honored the history of the yeah. building, which was built in 1902. It's definitely got like an urban, like you said, urban bourbon feel versus uh, more rural kind of rustic feel, you know. So it's it's definitely some different and awesome. We embrace that. Yeah, you know, that's 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 the route we decided to go. So the the last thing that we'll kind of roll into here is that you had mentioned that blending is tough, and we've we've done it before on the show. We've had the ability to try to. Um, you know, I've, I've talked to a few other bloggers and they've tried to create their own blends of stuff. Um, I know of another person out of Cincinnati that creates his own blends and it's, it's not easy to do. So talk about the process of, of the blending of, of Angel's Envy to get it to the consistent state of where it is. And whether it's, you know, maybe, maybe you just figured out the mathematical formula to say it's from this warehouse sourced from this place and this age, and we dump it, and then hooray, it all just happens to work. Well, I can tell you that nobody ha- nobody in the industry has a mathematical formula <laughs> to do that. Um, it's just not possible. You know, there are too many ranges of of, uh, of taste profiles for barrels. I mean, but what you do have to be is you have to be very in tune with your taste profile. You have to be able to evaluate it as you go along. And if you're doing a blend, let's say you're doing a blend, a 500-gallon blend of, let's say you've got your 10 barrels, you know, you're getting ready to do. Those 10 barrels that you pick have to eventually, when you put them together, have to match your taste profile. So you may have to go five barrels into that to that that blend and taste it and say, okay, here we are. This is where we are now. This is where we want to be. But guess what? The challenge is to find barrels <laughs> yeah. that are going to get you where you need to be. So it's a, there's an artistry to it more than I think it's more. It's like making barrels, like a Cooper. You know, you've seen Coopers before. You know how they've got to get the staves. Yep. You know, to, by the end of the, you know, they're picking different sizes of staves to mm-hmm. get them all together to where it works. Very similar type of philosophy. So that's you know, in in Scotland and other places, the the blender is definitely the most recognizable person. In the United States, for some reason, the master distiller has been the one. But also with bourbon, usually the master distiller can also be doing the blending as well. Mm-hmm. But here, you know, we've got more than one person doing the distilling. My son Andrew's a distiller. Andrew's worked in processing and and, and so on and so forth as well. You know, Kyle's the production manager, so he he oversees all that. Um, so you know, we've got more than one person who is doing those things, who's doing blending. We have a, a team that does sensory now as well. We've taught other people where it was just the family originally, you know, to do sensory on the samples. We have a team we've trained to do that. So as you get bigger, you know, you have to kind of make some uh, adjustments in how you do things. But the same principles of how we do things remain the same. And how has the business grown since the the opening of the new distillery? New head count, everything. Yeah, like I mean, I'd say we probably have a hundred, a little over a hundred employees nationwide now. Wow. 40 or so, 40 or 50 or so here. And we have a marketing office in Chicago. We have uh, regional managers around the country. We have Whiskey Guardians around the country. So we've grown. You say Whiskey Guardians a few times. I think you need to explain what yeah, that I is. Yeah, I will. Whiskey Guardians, um, 
I hate to say use the word brand ambassador, but that's the easiest way to kind of understand what they do. Although it's not an even doesn't do them justice, you know. Um, Whiskey Guardians are folks that we hire in markets around the country that that uh, work for us part time. They also work; they're influencers in some of the major bars in the country. That's what we want. We want them still involved in the bartender community while working with us at the same time. So, you know, they, we have them in major markets all around the country. Um, they're fantastic people. They do a lot of the in-market activity. They'll do tastings. They'll do staff trainings. They'll do placements. They'll do, you know, try to get uh, our, our, our whiskey, our bourbon on uh, cocktail menus. So um, they're, they're a huge part of what we do here. And, and one, one, another, another one of the big reasons the brand has been successful is because of that. They're evangelists of the brand, and they're, they're so well-connected. Yeah, you always need those people. Yeah, and so the the last question we'll round this out with is: as an innovation officer, you know, we had mentioned we you know we dug into marketing a little bit, but how are you getting your brand into the hands of more consumers every single day? And what's kind of like that next phase that you kind of see all of this either changing or developing in the next few years too? You know, I'm fond of saying that that. The business is, this business is like a rocket ship. Some days you're just strapped to it and holding on for dear life. And other days you're actually, you know, uh, navigating. Making the, traction. You're actually, you know, flying the ship yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when, you, when you're part of an acquisition of a larger company, there's a lot of integration that you do. And that, that took us about a year, really, to get. So I think during, during the last couple of years, we've been growing the brand. We've been um, um, getting used to to the the way things are arranged now and that can be a distraction sometimes from what you you know from some of your forward progress so now all that's behind us so we're we're back to not only you know continuing building angels if he's a brand but to looking more forward and to other things and other innovations we want to do so you know i want to continue doing those things you know my big thing is i always want angels envy to be part of the discussion and when you're not part of the discussion is when your brand starts to become, your, you know, less relevant. I'm not going to say it ever becomes irrelevant, but, you know, when people are talking about innovative, people are talking about, hey, that's something new and cool. You know, look what Angels Envy is doing. That was how, when I created this company, that was kind of my vision. And that was the vision dad had. And, and you know, now we've got this beautiful distillery where we can, it's a playground. We can do whatever the hell we want here. You know, I mean, if we have some crazy ass idea we come up with and we want to go distill, we can do it, which is amazing. It's a great, it's a great ability. So, um so we just use that canvas. We have that blank canvas. So we'll continue to innovate. We'll continue to to make as much Angels Envy as we can and, you know, win over as many consumers as we can. Absolutely. Awesome. I, I remember the last time we were here and you had a bottle in front of you and you were like, uh, we said, we said, what is that? And you're like, I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah, there's a bunch of those. See all these right the labels, turn the labels backwards. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, you watch a television show and there's a bar scene and all the labels are turned backwards, <laughs> yeah. you know? Except for Angel's Envy, that, that's, yeah, the, yeah, that's the, of course. Okay. Actually, I should have put it right here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, but I yeah. do remember that you guys at one time were talking about sherry cask finishes yeah. at one time too, right? But I haven't seen that hit the market yet either, right? So is it... It's just one of the other things it's percolating. that percolating, percolating still. <laughs> Two years later, the, it's actually not percolating. No, it's 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 been it's been percolated. We're just trying to figure out when we're gonna. It's fermenting. Do something with it. Good deal. But you didn't hear it from me. Sure. Why not? I didn't say it. Who's who's this West character? Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so Wes, I want to say yeah, thank thanks. you again thank for you uh, for coming on the show. So before we end it, I want you to give uh, a plug of how people can find you on Twitter. Where can they find the distillery? All that good stuff. 
Um, where can you find me? Mo- I- I'd prefer that to be found on a raft in my pool. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, um, that's, that's and I do I do a lot that's of ideal. social media from that. If I can get away with it, if I can get away from work, um, uh, I'm on Twitter ky bourbon maker ky bourbon maker as well as Instagram. That's the same thing, and you know, reach out. You know, I, 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 I'll answer any questions you have, and uh, you know we'll come to come and see the distillery. That's always a lot of fun. You have to book online. Um, our tours are usually sold out for two or three weeks ahead of time, and a lot of times you'll see me here. So come down and see me here. That's another way to to connect. Just go and say I listen. I listen to West on Bourbon Pursuit. I need to shake the man's hand. Yeah, That's, there you go. You know, <laughs> tell me tell me that you heard this on Bourbon Pursuit, and we'll have to give him a little something special. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> like those those ads on the radio. But, yeah, but it's, it, look, guys. I think it's fantastic what you all have done, and you know to uh, to have people that interested in what we do is a blessing. Yeah, and I love it that you all have a passion that you're growing and you know continuing to nurture, which is what I did with this business. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that type of stuff. So awesome. Um, now we so, just need we just need Bacardi to become the Bacardi yeah. Bur- Bacardi Bourbon Pursuit, right? There you go. <laughs> right. Look, you know, hey. the, you never know, man. You never know. Then we'll talk about Angels Envy all the time. There yeah, exactly. Every I, week. I like your shirt. I'd be more than happy to wear one. Thank right? you. I appreciate you. No, it wouldn't just be a shirt. We'd have you. We'd probably have it tattooed on your forehead. We'd probably, you know, oh, yeah. we would be a very prominently displayed uh, branding. I like it. Yeah. Wes, well, I'm going to say thank you again. Make sure you follow us at Kentucky Bourbon Maker and all those great social media channels. Follow us as well at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also... Uh, make sure you give us reviews on iTunes uh, and subscribe on iTunes. Those reviews really help grow the show. It helps spread the word. People, they always want to subscribe to something where they see a lot of good reviews. So really the reviews do help. So please do that. And if you do like the show, support us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. And just take some cash. You know, if you yeah. really like <laughs> the do. guys, put, put a couple hundred bucks in an envelope and send it to the oh, guys. Oh, yeah. We like that too. That's we always, love, that, we like cash. Yeah. If, you know, a friend of mine used to say, you know, well, if you, do you really like me? And they're like, how much do you like me? You know, <laughs> exactly. show me how much you like me. Right. <laughs> Great guys. Thank yep. you. No, appreciate it. Uh, man, this place is beautiful and big upgrade from when we first uh, recorded. So it, it's an inspiring story and uh, I'm excited to see it grow. So appreciate the time. And uh, if you have any show suggestions, comments, feedback, please let us know. We love hearing from you all and getting ideas and um, we'll see you next time. <laughs>